Steve Palmer here from Lawyer Talk Podcast. That's at lawyertalkpodcast.com. Time for another Lawyer Talk Q&A. The Q&A, if you haven't figured it out by now, well, I'll give you the, the quick rundown. Uh, we are taking questions on lawyerpodcast.com, our website, uh, taking questions from upstairs at the law firm, ohiolegaldefense.com, or even just calls I get. Sometimes I make the questions up based on a bunch of questions I've already received. I condense them into one. And as I've said before, the idea here is to give you easy-to-digest, bite-sized answers to your questions and take the seemingly complicated things and simplifying. And my saying is I like to make things simple, and almost everything can be made simple. Without further ado, let's get to Sarah's question. Uh, and this is what I really love about this. This shows that uh, this series is is uh, of interest to folks, and that matters to me, uh, because Sarah's following up on another question I handled a few weeks ago, uh, I think from Andy. And here's Sarah's question. In, in my state, you can plead three different ways, not guilty, guilty, and no contest. The judges seem to treat a no contest and a guilty plea as if they are the same thing. Is it just a matter of semantics, or is there a real legal difference? Now, she goes on, and I'll break these down in my answers, but she goes on to say, in a previous Q&A, you said that you thought the judge overstepped her bounds in Andy's case. If the judge constantly oversteps their bounds or makes a major legal blunder, is there a legal process of having the judge reprimanded or removed, and does that ever happen in reality? And then I'll just add, thank you so much for answering my questions with a little smiley face and sunglasses uh, emoticon. I like that too. So let's get to it. Um, first of all, guilty, no guilty, not guilty, no contest. Let's talk about uh, how the process works. And before anybody from other jurisdictions starts uh, yelling at me for using the wrong terms, forgive me, I'm just going to talk generically and uh, using the terms we use in Ohio and maybe even uh, weave in some federal terminology too. But uh, the stages of a proceeding typically go this way, say in a felony case, uh, you have an initial appearance. The initial appearance is where a court simply advises somebody of what the charges are against them and then addresses uh, whether they should be held pending uh, additional charges or a grand jury indictment or whatever. Then following that, once somebody has been formally charged, say by way of an indictment or a criminal complaint in a traffic or misdemeanor case, we have something called an arraignment. And this is where we enter our plea. Uh, an arraignment is where we would either say guilty, not guilty, or no contest, or uh, some courts have different procedures that you can utilize. One would be simply a continuance or adjournment of the arraignment to a later date so you can get more information, hire a lawyer, or do something, find whatever you need to do. Uh, another option might be at the arraignment level. Some courts have diversion programs or alternative resolution type programs that uh, you get sort of sideswiped out of the system and into a program to avoid conviction that way. But let's just talk uh, formally about an arraignment without those other things. A guilty plea. You are saying guilty to the facts alleged in the complaint. So here's how the process works. I tender a guilty plea as, or my client tenders a guilty plea. The judge, uh, here's a recitation of the facts. In other words, the prosecutor or the other side, uh, or even just what's in the complaint, uh, will acknowledge the facts in the complaint and enter a finding of guilty. You are basically saying, I'm guilty. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. Guilty, guilty, guilty. The judge will then take a next step of finding you guilty. So understand that it's a two-step process. You tender a guilty plea, and if there's sufficient facts to support it, the judge will enter a finding of guilty. Then you move on to step three, which is what the heck's going to happen to you. We call that sentencing or disposition or whatever somebody uh, might use or whatever terminology somebody might use in your jurisdiction. 
Now, a not guilty plea is sort of the opposite of that. You're saying, no, I'm not guilty. Um, I, you have to prove the case. Now, here's uh, semantics aside. This, this, it's maybe best to look at this in, uh, from a different perspective. So many people say, well, why should I plead not guilty? I actually did it. I was actually speeding. And I will tell them, look, you're not really saying not guilty uh, as such as much as you are saying they have to prove it. Remember, folks, the prosecutor, the state, the the heavy hand of the government has the burden of proving the case beyond a reasonable doubt to the satisfaction of the trier fact. Sometimes that's a jury, sometimes that's a judge, but uh, they have the burden of proof. And just because you may be factually guilty doesn't mean that the prosecutor of the state can prove it. And also remember, you have a right to remain silent. You don't have to provide whatever evidence you know exists uh, in your heart of hearts. You don't have to tell them, in other words, what you did to help them meet their burden of proof so you can remain silent, instead be presumed innocent, and make the prosecutor prove it. Maybe the better way to put it would be, uh, instead of not guilty, say, go prove it, you prosecutor. Uh, anyway, that's uh, that's a guilty plea. Now, the third option, no contest. This is what causes the most confusion because, as Sarah points out, it seems to be about the same. Uh, a no contest plea usually results in a guilty finding, and I say usually because there is a nuance to it, a couple actually. When you say no contest, it, it's based on the Latin nolo contendere, meaning I'm not going to contest the facts alleged. Uh, I will just uh, sort of stand silent. There, the judge has to actually apply the facts to the law, make sure they fit the law, and then find you guilty. You're not admitting that uh, they fit. You're, you, the judge has to make a little bit of an extra finding there, and they almost always do. Now, there is a bit of a nuance to it. You can plead no contest to the complaint or the facts alleged in the complaint, and I do, I've done this before where I say, judge, no contest, but we are not stipulating there are sufficient facts to find that the person is guilty. And by stipulate, I mean agree. So a lot of times we'll enter a no contest plea and the judge says, there's stipulation. I say, no stipulation. We ain't agreeing to nothing uh, because we don't think the facts alleged here make up a, a, enough to find somebody guilty. It could be that the facts alleged it happened in a different jurisdiction or the wrong jurisdiction. It could be that the, the facts alleged left out critical information in order to uh, that are necessary to find a, a person guilty, uh, and the judge can't do it. But nine times out of ten, if not more, uh, people go in, they plead no, con no contest because it feels better. People think, well, I'm going to plead no contest. That way it's not so bad as a guilty plea, but it is. It is equally bad. You're going to be found guilty. The consequences will be the same. Once that extra finding is made, then the court will um, proceed to sentencing and do whatever they he or she deems appropriate. Um, and, and that's that. Now, there is another nuance, at least in Ohio, to a no contest plea. Um, there are ramifications to guilty pleas and guilty findings. And those ramifications would be something like this. Say I pled guilty to committing a traffic violation that resulted in a car crash, that resulted in physical harm, maybe even death to somebody else, um, I have pled guilty. The rules of evidence would say that that is an admission, and by admission, I use that as a term of art. It means it's going to be admissible in court later against me if I want to contest when I get sued by the estate or the person who's injured. I can't say, uh, -uh. I can't say, uh, go prove it. Uh, you civil shyster lawyer, because um, I'm now contesting it, what's going to happen is they're going to enter into evidence my admission, my guilty plea as an admission of guilt, and they're going to use that against me. I can still, I guess, contest it theoretically, but you know that would be a, a tough road to hoe. Um, 
On the other hand, if I plead no contest and there's a guilty finding on top of that, it's not considered an admission that can later be used against me in a civil case. Now, this is Ohio. I speak nothing about uh, the nuances of this as it applies in other jurisdictions. I urge you to talk to attorneys in uh, your respective uh, hometown to see or wherever you're dealing with something to see how how it works there. But that is a little bit of a nuance that's different in uh, traffic cases and, and, and other cases where you might expect some civil liability. And I guess I should explain by that. I mean, you commit a crime or you're accused of committing a crime. Maybe it's a bar fight. You hit somebody in the nose. They got some medical damages and you go plead guilty. They're going to enter that guilty plea against you when you get sued later to pay the medical bills. Um, if you entered a no contest plea, in theory, you've got a little bit uh, extra layer of insulation from that finding, and maybe it's harder for them to prove it. Uh, you know, I can't. I'm not going to comment that it's going to uh, you'll win just because you played no contest. But there is a bit of a difference. So when I when you see lawyers pleading no contest, um, they're probably doing it for a reason. They're probably doing it beyond uh, simply uh, sound that it feels and sounds better. Um, now, there is one final option that I should discuss before going on to part two of the question. Uh, there is something else in our in our system called an Alford plea. What the heck is an Alford plea? Well, it is premised on the United States Supreme Court of North Carolina versus Alford, A-L-F-O-R-D. And this was decided way back in 1970. Uh, in this case, the court addressed a scenario where somebody said, I'm going to plead guilty, but it's not because I think I'm guilty. It's not because I am guilty. In fact, I, I maintain that I'm not guilty. I maintain that I didn't do it, but I'm going to plead guilty. And this sort of opens up a door to a broader philosophical discussion about why people would enter a guilty plea to something they didn't do. And I'm here to tell you, folks, if you're thinking that you never would, if you're thinking that uh, you never could, if you're thinking that uh, it'll never happen to you, well... It can, and it and it may, and here, here's why. Because there are often consequences to going to trial and losing that uh, that make it almost impossible to uh, to take the risk to try the case. So this happens all too often in, say, a child sex abuse case where somebody is falsely accused of uh, of, of committing a heinous crime against a young child. And I and I bring it up. I bring up that example because this happens, folks. This happens a lot. There are people wrongfully accused of this type of behavior all the time in the context of divorces, in the context of stepchildren, and and who knows why. But it happens. I'm working on two right now where people are serving life sentences, and I do not think that they did it. I do not think that they did it. I think they are factually innocent. I think the convictions are wrong. And all you have to do is look back at the innocence projects around the country to know that false accusations and wrongful convictions happen. All right, enough of my soapbox there. But uh, the point is, if I am offered, say we're offered a deal, I'm representing somebody uh, on a case of uh, alleged child abuse. And here in Ohio, if you get convicted, uh, it may well be that you serve life in prison. And people say, well, what does that mean? When do you really get out? Well, you don't. You serve life. Or maybe it's 30 to life and you're already 40 you're, or 40 years old. So, you know, that's effectively life. Uh, that means the rest of every day you wake up for the rest of your life, you're in prison for something you didn't do. Now, before trial, we have worked this case up. We have pointed out all the inconsistencies. We have uh, child psychologists who say, what a bunch of bunk. We have uh, experts who are going to come in and say, well, the DNA is, is uh, nonsense. Uh, there is no DNA. We have um, uh, whatever, whatever the defense has. You know, Often what happens is you get allegations that uh, this kind of abuse happens every single night, every day, and there's like 10 people in the house, but there's no eyewitnesses. Whatever it is, um, 
uh, we have the we have the goods that uh, we have a decent shot of winning the case. Now, let me just say real quick before all the uh, all the hue and cry is in the dander of everybody out there is raised. There are also plenty of people who actually are guilty of such crimes, and uh, they are found guilty. They are convicted by pleas and trials every day. So uh, I'm not saying that that real. Uh, child abuse doesn't happen. It does, and it's tragic. So that said, let's move on. I go into court, and I've got my great defense. And um, maybe the day before trial, the prosecutor calls up, and I get a little ring-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, and they say, hey, Steve, um, we've been thinking about this, and we have a plea offer for you. We have an offer um, for your client to plead guilty to a felony offense, but it's not a sex offense that requires lifetime registration on some list every week or every month. And you can have your your client can have his record or her record sealed or expunged uh, if that's what's appropriate in your jurisdiction uh, after a few years. And uh, your client's not going to go to jail or prison. Uh, they're just going to be on probation and they got to do some counseling. All right. So my, I go to my client. My client says, well, wait a minute. I'm not guilty. And I say, well, you know, you're not guilty. I agree. I don't think you did this. On the other hand, if a jury disagrees, if we go to court and we bring the best defense that we have with the best courtroom advocacy we have we've done our focus groups we've done our mock trials we've got the best experts in the world and the jury comes back and says snake eyes you're guilty well you're spending the rest of your life in prison Um, but my client says i didn't do it why would i plead guilty to something i didn't do and we have this long meaningful discussion that gets very difficult it gets very emotional Um, i hate it Um, but my job as an advocate is to have these discussions with people and say look you know, this is a lifeline. And, you know, forget about what everybody is going to say. Forget about what everybody thinks. Look in the mirror and say, what's best for me? What's best for my family? What's best for my loved ones? And um, uh, pray about it. Do what you have to do to make a decision. And, and by the way, we may be able to go into court and say, I am only pleading guilty here to avoid the potentially draconian, insane consequences of trial that is life in prison. In other words, I get to offload the risk of having a trial and simply take this plea deal, pleading still guilty, and it has all the ramifications of a guilty plea, except I get to profess my innocence as I'm doing it. Um, All right, so that became a contentious issue back in 1970 and probably before. And in the case of North Carolina versus Alford, the U.S. Supreme Court said that's a permissible thing to do. Um, and they, they recognized that uh, this kind of thing happens all the time. So if you wonder how and why people are pleading guilty to things they didn't do, if you're thinking to yourself, well, not on my, uh, not on my watch that would ever happen. Well, it might, and it does. And maybe you run into a situation where you're pleading guilty under Alford, but you know why you're doing it, and you're professing your innocence at the same time. So probably more than Sarah wanted there, but uh, that's what we try to do, over-deliver. Under promise, over deliver. All right, let's get to part two of Sarah's question. Sarah says, um, in a previous Q&A, you said that you thought the judge overstepped her bounds in Andy's case. If a judge constantly oversteps their bounds or makes major uh, makes a major legal blunder, is there a legal process of having the judge reprimanded or removed? And does that ever happen in reality? All right. Uh, I, I believe Andy's case, uh, in that situation, the judge refused to accept a plea. The judge says, no, I'm not going to accept this, this plea. Uh, of, of, I think that the, the, the person tried to plead uh, not guilty. And the judge says, no, you can only plead guilty and found him guilty. Uh, I don't know exactly what happened in that case, but stuff like that does happen. Uh, more often, what we get is a judge who says, um, I'm not going to accept the plea bargain that you guys, you, that is you, prosecutor and defense attorney, 
have fashioned in this case. I'm not going to accept it. And uh, you go back to the drawing board. Uh, I don't like it. Um, and now, that happens probably more often than what Andy's situation is. But say in Andy's case that somebody tries to enter a not guilty plea and the judge says no, I, I, I don't remember exactly if I said the judge overstepped her bounds. But uh, without more information, if with only those facts, it doesn't sound right to me. It doesn't sound like that's a judge uh, that is uh, that is doing it right. I think uh, there's got to be a an explanation beyond I just am not going to let somebody plead not guilty in my courtroom. So if it, limited to those facts, and these, these are lawyer disclaimers if you haven't figured it out, Sarah. Limited to those facts, if a judge at an arraignment says, you have to plead guilty, you have no other option, uh, that seems like a blatant violation of due process. We have a right to challenge in our country uh, allegations against us. We have a right to tell the prosecutor, go prove it. Uh, we have a right to contest it, remain silent, uh, and make them take on that burden of proof beyond a reasonable doubt on each and every element of the offense to the satisfaction uh, unanimous satisfaction of all the jurors or the judge. Uh, so did the judge overstep her bounds? Well, if that's the case, limited to those facts, yes. Does a judge overstep their bounds when uh, they don't take our plea bargains? Uh, look, there, there's like legally and ethically overstepping bounds. And then, you know, the Steve Palmer, uh, it bugs me overstepping their bounds. So I don't like that. I, 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 as I said before in uh, Andy's question, I firmly believe that we as attorneys uh, and litigants know the cases that we bring into a courtroom, and we should ethically, uh, that we, we have worked hard to get a resolution, that we bring a resolution to a judge in good faith. And if I were a judge, I can't speak to other judges, but if I were a judge, um, I generally would accept what the lawyers are bringing to me and say, look, it's your case. You guys did the hard work. You know the facts. Mr. Prosecutor, you're dealing with your family. You're dealing with the victims. You're dealing with the evidence that you have to bring into a courtroom. Mr. Defense Lawyer, um, you know your client, and uh, you're dealing with all the same on your side. Who am I to criticize what you guys have done? I'm going to accept your plea offer uh, or plea resolution and accept the plea. A lot of judges don't do that. They uh, they meddle into our affairs and they say, sorry, Charlie, we're not going to do it. You better uh, either plead guilty to the charge or, Mr. Prosecutor, if your case sucks, go dismiss it. Uh, and that, I think a lot of times that that can make our job harder. In certain situations, I've had judges do that where they tell a prosecutor, look, you got a problem with your case that's that bad, just dismiss it. We ain't taking a plea bargain like that in my courtroom. And, you know, I'm sitting there over there quietly thinking, dismiss, dismiss, better for me. Um, but anyway, that's my position on it. Now, finally, is there a process that you can reprimand or even have a judge removed? Yes, there's a few. Um, judges are subject to ethical standards, just like lawyers are. Um, often judges get involved in conduct that gets them disbarred or otherwise defrocked. Um, we've had judges in Ohio where that's happened, where they've berated lawyers on the bench. They've uh, shown up drunk. They've done bad things uh, outside the courtroom. We've had judges uh, getting drunken wrecks. We've had uh, all sorts of things. So there's like the, the standard character stuff that lawyers have to watch out for. Uh, and judges, I think, maybe even have a heightened standard at times because uh, they tend to be in the spotlight. Uh, so judges can be reprimanded by whatever local bar associations and or uh, in Ohio we have an ethics committee and a Supreme Court that gets involved in that. Uh, then as far as uh, what happens, so a reprimand is, uh, hey, you're in trouble. You have to go do, uh, you know, say your 10 Hail Marys or whatever it is, do your counseling, do your education, get, uh, get yourself back up to speed, get yourself fixed, and uh, come on back. Uh, and then uh, maybe even disbarred where you're just off the bench. That can happen too as a sanction. And then ultimately, here in Ohio anyway, we have, uh, we have this thing called voting. 
If we don't like a judge in Ohio, we can go vote for a different candidate the next time the judge runs. So this is where I urge everybody, in, at least in Ohio and in other jurisdictions where there, where judges are subject to the electoral process, do your do your research. You don't have to vote party lines just because a judge is a Democrat or a judge is a Republican. Go vote for that person, uh, and you know pick pick a judge who's good. If you've got personal experience in front of that judge, great, that's awesome. If you know somebody's got personal experience in front of the judge, that's awesome too. Maybe you should go talk to attorneys who have. Uh, a knowledge and understanding of, of who does a good job on the bench, because at, at least uh, at least then you're voting with a little bit of education instead of just a party line or a ticket. Look, I've not been shy about my politics, not going into it here, but I don't vote the ticket when it comes to judges. I vote for the good judges and I vote against the judges who I don't uh, think do the best of jobs. And, you know, that's just how it is. Uh, so use your use your right to vote, exercise it. And that is the ultimate veto power in our country. So I think that wraps up all the answers to all of Sarah's questions here at Lawyer Talk Q&A. Now, you might ask, how on earth did Sarah get to have her question answered? Well, it's simple. Sarah listens, and she took the extra time to go to LawyerTalkPodcast.com, sent me an email, asked me a few questions, and got her questions answered. Uh, Those who have been following along know that I also do something called Lawyer Talk Q&A, where I take longer, more complicated topics. Uh, Maybe it's a big case going on in the country. Maybe it's a legal concept. Maybe it's something happening in the U.S. Supreme Court, whatever it would be. Uh, And I try to break it down into simple terms because, as I like to say, um, I like to make things simple and almost everything can be made simple. And all too often, lawyers try to do just the opposite. They give you a bunch of fancy, wordy legal talk that doesn't make any sense. Um, it didn't to me in law school and it doesn't to me now, but I've learned the language so I can speak it both ways. I, I, I speak lawyer speak and then I speak real people speak, which I am far more, uh, proud of if that's the right word. So, uh, if you've got a question, you've got a topic, you've got uh, a comment, uh, you want to follow up on this or any other question we have, uh, we've answered, just go to lawyertalkpodcast.com. If it turns out that you actually need legal representation, guess what? I do that too. Uh, ohiolegaldefense.com. Look us up. Give us a shout. Uh, happy to talk about your legal uh, issues. And and by the way, these questions, you notice I'm using first names. I'm ch- Sometimes I even change the names. I, I, we're not going to air you out, call you out, uh, and embarrass you in any way here at Lawyer Talk. Uh, the idea is to uh, give people information that's interesting, helpful, uh, and maybe even enjoyable. So uh, with that, this has been Lawyer Talk Q&A off the record, on the air, at least until now.